Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We all hope that the best is yet to come, but there are things in life that can trip us up or detour us from God's plan. How do we avoid those things so that we can truly walk in all that God has for us? Join us for our message series, Landmines and Quicksand, making sure the best is yet to come. All right. Well, we're in a series today. Uh, We're actually on part three of uh, the series we've been doing called Landmines and Quicksand. Subtitle, Making Sure the Best is Yet to Come. And uh, the reason we're doing this, I, I've been talking about it for the last two weeks. Uh, there, there was a very famous pastor in our world, somebody we all looked up to. If, if you were a pastor and, and we just thought this guy was amazing and, and was just killing it so fast. And, and it was just a, incredible to watch what he was doing. And his mantra was always, the best is yet to come. And he keeps saying, the best is yet to come. And then one day I woke up, looked at the news. He had lost his job and his family and uh, realized the best is yet to come until. And, and, and it sent me on this little search. What, what is the until? I, I don't know about you, but the thought that every day is getting better until one day it all blows up and it all goes downhill. I, I want to make sure that day never comes. Come on, anybody with me? I want to know what we could do to never get to the until. And when I meet Jesus, I'd like to still be doing this, right? I don't want to be on the backside of something. And so this series is based upon the, the biblical belief. I'm going to show it to you that the best is yet to come. That's God's plan for your life. It comes out of Proverbs 4.18. And it says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn shining brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until full day. I believe that's God's plan for you. When God comes into our life, when we begin to get on track with what he wants for us, then it's supposed to get better and better and better and better. Again, as I've already said, that's not to say you won't have tough days. God works through those tough days. It's not to say you won't go through a season and God will bring you out the other side. This series is not about that. This series is about choices that we make. Some things that we can control that will cause the best to not be in front of us. And so we started off this series talking about landmines. Well, I tell you what, landmines, quicksand, roadblocks today and next week, poison. Doesn't that sound amazing? Poison. All right, who's going to change their Labor Day travel plans because you just can't wait to hear about poison? One of you. All right, that's amazing. Woo, the rest of you are like, nah, man, I'll catch it online. I'm, I'm going to the beach. But anyway, but what blows my mind is that you keep coming back. Seriously, you keep coming. I mean, this hurts. This is one of those painful series. Let me give you just a little free uh, knowledge of how things work. When the video right before I preach is funny, (laughs) the series is painful. Just going to tell you that. We we do that to kind of lift your spirits a little bit so that when when I come and punch you in the soul with something, that you just got some room to give. You know what I'm saying? So we we started off the series with with the uh, landmines, the idea there are things that blow up our lives. You step on them, it's all over. And so this is talking about things that are hidden, things that we haven't dealt with, typically a secret sin. And of course, the best answer for a landmine is don't wait for it to blow up on you, but to remove it. Let's go, let's confess, let's talk to somebody, let's get the power of this out of our lives. Of course, the Bible actually tells us that, that there's a beginning to that process, that we could actually prevent the landmines at the point where somebody starts digging a hole, that that's the best time to say, somebody help me out here, I'm, I'm being drawn into something, right? Part two, we talked about quicksand, what will sink your future? Look, nothing will sink your future as much as not caring about your future. When you're okay with okay and okay is good for you, you are not going to have the best. That's not how that works. 
Part two, quicksand is all about complacency. God has an incredible plan. And when your plan is, eh, (laughs) it's not going to get you to the best being yet to come. If you missed either of those, those are online. You can go back and get them. Today we're talking about roadblocks. This sounds like fun, doesn't it? If we were to go around the room right now and say, what is a roadblock? What could stand in the way of you getting to the best future that God has for you? What could be between you and that? I I would tell you the truth, there's a lot of different answers, and they would probably all be right answers. I can't talk about every roadblock that we would come up with, so I'm only going to talk about one. I'm going to talk about one roadblock that gets in our way. It is the biggest roadblock. It's the granddaddy of them all. It's the mothership of roadblocks. If this gets in front of you, you're going nowhere. Like when when this opposes you, you are done for. There is no way around it. It is insurmountable. It is an impassable roadblock. And right now you're going, please, Jimmy, tell me more. What has that kind of power, right? Well, the correct question is not what, but who? Let me share with you four words right out of the Bible. God opposes the proud. Boom. Y'all enjoy your lunch. See you next. I'm just kidding. God opposes the proud. Wow. I don't know about you, but what a strange reality. I mean, I thought that we're talking about a God of love and grace and forgiveness. Why is God opposing me? Just because I got a little bit of an attitude. God opposes the proud. You know, that, that just doesn't seem to really make sense. It would make more sense to me if I were trying to figure out things like God opposes sinners. God should oppose sinners, right? But actually the Bible tells us that he loves sinners so much he sent his son to die for them. And that in his kindness, he reaches out to sinners to lead them to repentance. I don't know, my logic would say that God opposes the ungodly. But the Bible even gives us the example of King Nebuchadnezzar and and says, this evil man is an instrument of mine for my purpose. Now look, do not take what I just said to an extreme. Because of course, God deals with the sinners. And of course, God deals with the ungodly. But the point that I'm trying to make is you and I, cannot ignore the power of those four little words god opposes the proud and if you think well i'm just grabbing that out of the middle of a verse taking four words out of context it's not that important let me point out this is not in the bible just once this is not in the bible just twice this exact thing is in the bible three times by three different authors i think very clearly making god's point god opposes the proud So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. I want to show you something. This is not our main passage. I'm just going to give you a little illustration. We'll read through something real quick so you can turn there or not. If not, it's going to be on the screen right here. But this is the beginning of Proverbs 26, and we're going to hit most of the first 12 verses just, again, trying to make an illustration here of something uh, that God is talking about. So look, it says, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool, right? A, a fool does not deserve honor, just like you shouldn't have snow in summer, you know, because in the summer we all put away our parkas and our gloves, and we only have flip-flops here in Columbia, right? Yeah, just seeing if y'all are with me. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. So like the only thing that you can use to get a horse and a donkey moving is a a whip or a bridle. It tells them to go, it tells them to stop, it tells them to turn left, it tells them to turn right. And the, the only thing that you can depend on for keeping a fool on track is a rod across the back. That's pretty scary. I don't know about you. I don't know. I don't want to be the fool. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet. Whoa, that's, that's a little like graphic, don't you think? I mean, all I did was ask him to deliver the mail. Wow, that's pretty bad. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. 
like, like promoting a fool and saying they do well is the same as if you had a slingshot, you glued the rock in it, you let it go, and it comes back, smacks you in the face. I mean, personally, I've never glued the rock in a <laughs> I guess the guy in Proverbs did. Anyway, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So, like, the last thing we need to do is give them one true statement to go around slapping people with, right? Like an archer who wounds everyone is is a one who hires a passing fool and like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly raise your hand if you don't want to be a fool come on if you don't want to be a fool like this is the worst description you could imagine raise your hand if you don't even want to be around one of these people you don't want them anywhere in your life you don't want them to have any control over your future right here's the thing that wasn't written about a fool all of that was written about this next sentence do you see a man wise in his own eyes there's more hope for a fool than for him. We all said we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be that fool. And the Bible just said, if you think you're wise in your own eyes, good luck with that. Because that fool has a better chance of succeeding. That fool has a better chance of believing the best is yet to come than you do. If we were going to talk about pride, there are so many things that we could cover. It, it could make a whole series, but I'm pretty sure if I told you I was doing a series on pride, you wouldn't come back for that one. So, you know, as we think about this, I, I can't touch on everything. Sometimes there's pride that comes out in the form of, I am best. Some of us kind of struggle with, well, I am better than you. It's okay. I pity you. You know, that, that whole sort of thing. And then sometimes there's the pride in the form of, well, I deserve best. And we talked about that a little bit in our last series of how we want the pride of life because I, des I deserve to be acclaimed and, and to be thought well of and that sort of thing. Neither of those are what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that, that very phrase we just saw there in Proverbs. And that's the kind of pride where I know best. Not just that I am best or deserve best, but I know best. And uh, honestly, the reason that I get to preach on this today is because I'm an absolute expert on knowing best, just so you know. <laughs> By that, I mean that this has been the, the struggle of my life. Pride has been something that has been very, very difficult for me. When I, when I was 16 years old, I gave my life to, to Jesus, and I'd grown up in the church world, but didn't really understand that connection. And at 16 years old, at an FCA retreat, I said, yes, God, I will serve you. And at that moment, though, more than just going to heaven was changed in my life. What also was changed in my life is at that very moment, I knew that what I had planned for life, which was to be a doctor and a surgeon, was not God's plan. God's plan was for me to do what I'm doing right now. Now, that's not everybody's plan. Don't worry. If, if you surrender your life to God, you may not have to stand up and preach the Bible. That's, that's not for every single person. But at 16 years old, I knew this. And I didn't get to do this until I was about 36. That was two incredibly painful decades in my life because in, in high school and in college and professors and different voices and then later pastors and friends and mentors, they all kept trying to sit me down and say, Jimmy, look, you've got a pride problem. And I would just go and find a new mentor <laughs> who didn't try to tell me I had a pride problem. Funny thing is, it was really hard to find somebody for long term because they all kept thinking the same wrong thoughts about me that I was proud. And then God gave me a wife that I couldn't get away from who helped point. There you go. Come on. How many of you are married to somebody that's making you more godly, right? There you go. Yeah. All right. And I turned to him and said, I'm grateful for it, honey, because we don't want them taking that the wrong way. But I've struggled most of my life because I am one of those people who always thinks I know best. 
And, and I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not real proud to admit it, but I'm just going to be the, the one, since I get the stage, I'm the one that has to, to be transparent. And, and you can either laugh with me, if you know yourself, or you can laugh at me. I don't really care either way. As long as you laugh, just laugh at the funny stuff because today's message is going to hurt. So I just recommend laugh whenever you get a chance. I don't care if it's at me or at yourself, whatever it is. So here's the question that I hope you're asking. Why is this a roadblock? Well, I've already pointed out the obvious. God will oppose you, but people won't like you. People won't like you. You see, when we think we know best, there are two primary things going on in our heart. The first one is we know better than others. We know better than everyone else, and it shows up. Have you ever been around those people who answer questions nobody's asking? Y'all, somebody's coming to mind right now. They're, they're always talking. They're always telling you what you don't want to know. They're telling you how to walk. They're telling you what to eat. They're telling you where to go. I mean, you walk into the, the break room at work and you, you pull out this pastry and they start going, well, the reason that I went gluten-free is because... And you're just like, I just want to slap you and your gluten-free <laughs> research. I didn't ask. I'll get a Snickers tomorrow. Oh, well, let me tell you about the dangers of chocolate. At that point, you know you're listening to a demon. Chocolate is God's <laughs> food for you. And then they, sometimes they start answering questions that you asked someone else or someone else asked you. You know, they're just those people that think everybody wants to know. Here's the crazy thing. I used to do this. I used to do it all the time and I didn't notice it. You know, but again, having mentors and voices in my life and friends and, and people saying, Jimmy, you've got a pride problem. You think you're better than everybody. You always think you know. And, and then I would reject that. But I, at least by the grace of God, at some point, I remember when the light bulb started going off that people didn't like when I talked. Because when I talked, I was always the one who knew everything, right? And, and we don't realize what we're actually doing. And the, the truth is, that's what we need to start with today. We don't realize what we're doing. We don't know. Because the truth is, I don't know any of us that would go, well, I am just the most arrogant jerk in the world and proud of it. I mean, I'm sure that person exists, but that's not usually who we are. Who we are is someone who doesn't notice. I was just being helpful and no one answered that question, so I thought I would jump in. Well, I was just being helpful because apparently you didn't notice that you shouldn't eat three donuts in a row because I have done my gluten research. We, we honestly think that, that it's just good stuff and we aren't aware of, of how we're coming across to other people. We simply think that we know better than everyone else. Now, here's the real problem. When we designed this series, we actually designed it all around, well, at least this week, was all designed around this point. When you know best, you are unteachable. When you know better than others, you become unteachable. You see, if you know all the answers, you don't ask any questions. If your way is right, no one can teach you a better way, and no one can teach you their way. Come on, if anybody in here it runs a company, owns a company, or just has to train employees, when, when you teach somebody, this is how we do it at, at this restaurant, this is how we do it at this business, you come in the next day, they're doing it a different way, and you go, were you not listening yesterday? Well, I was listening, but my way's better. <laughs> you just want to fire them like right there on the spot, don't you? It, you're unteachable if your perspective is always right because no one can help you see that there could be another perspective. Now, here's the problem with being unteachable. People rarely hire someone who knows best. 
And if for some reason you get through that interview without revealing your true self, people rarely promote someone who knows best because they don't want all of the employees under you quitting the next day. People rarely befriend someone who knows best. At the end of the day, people just don't like someone who knows best. We just come across as that unfriendly kind of person no one wants to be around. Now here's the second problem. We go from being someone who knows better than others to someone who knows better than God. We get to a place where we think, God, how could you let that happen? And, and we're struggling because things happen in our lives. You know what's really funny is I didn't plan our worship songs for today, and, and uh, Greg probably did because he's, he's awesome and amazing. And, but I don't know if you noticed that third song there where it, it was talking about, God, how great you are. There is more to come because you don't make mistakes. But yet we get into life where life isn't going right. And we're saying, why, God? Why does this have to happen? Why didn't you answer that prayer? Why didn't why'd you let this not work out this way? Well, well, now I'm mad at you. And, and we put ourselves in a place where we become his equal, where we begin judging his decisions, where we begin saying that what you're doing is not good. And if I were in charge, I would have done better. And you automatically ask the question, why would God oppose that? I mean, it's obvious. God would oppose that because he can't allow something or someone who would put themselves equal to him to succeed at that. That's the reason God took me through a 20-year journey to break the I know best. Because if you could imagine, I mean, I know how to talk, right? I know how to teach. I've been teaching for a very long time. And I could have done this many years earlier in my life. But imagine God letting me stand up here and talk on his behalf when I think I'm better than everybody in the room and know best. Do you think any fruitful, life-changing ministry would have come out of that? No. But I hated every moment of the 20 years that God was breaking me and taking me through this. But here's the truth. We do this because we're hurt. Most of the time... We're doing this because there's an unmet need right here. Again, few people want to wake up and say, today I just thought I'd be an arrogant person. Today I just want to be a jerk. Today I just want to show off. We don't do that. Part of the reason that we believe we know best and we have to prove it to the world is because of the way we were raised. And Don't raise your hands, obviously, for this, but I hope that many of you are going to connect with what I'm saying. You see, I was the youngest. And it might be because you were the youngest. It might be because you were second string. It, 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 there could be different reasons, but the bottom line is, is you always felt like no one believed in you. You never got your shot. You never got your chance. You'd say, come on, Mom, I can stay home alone. No, we have to have a babysitter. Seriously, I can stay home without burning down the house. I know how to make my own grilled cheese. No, I don't want you to burn yourself. I'll make your grilled cheese. Coach, if you'll put me in, I can take the shot. No, no, no. I just want you to watch how the shot should be taken. And whatever your story is, you get to a point where you finally get a chance. You see, because I was the youngest in the family, I, I had older sisters who were always like, this is how you do it. Sit down and be quiet. I'll do that for you. I had a mom who would, same thing. And, and then I get to a point where finally I can begin to say, let me prove I can do something. Let me show you I know the answer. And it was out of my brokenness that I thought that I could show the world I knew everything. I taught school, I was a middle school teacher, a high school teacher, I was a youth pastor, 
And I'm telling you, I've seen this everywhere in my life, just watching people who grew up being put down and being told, no, not yet. Now look, some of that's not wrong. What's really funny is sometimes we have a really wrong response to right things in our lives. There's an actual age at which you should leave your children alone. And if you're under that age, you can't leave them alone legally, even if they think that you're not believing in them, right? I mean, there are just some choices that are made out there, but then we respond as though we're not being believed in. And we spend the rest of our life trying to prove to everybody, I'm good enough, I'm going to prove it to you. I know better, I'm going to prove it to you because my mama didn't believe it or my daddy didn't believe it or my coach didn't believe it. And that's what we take. It's not just because we naturally wake up and say, I want to be arrogant. But it's because we're hurt. So here we go. If God opposes the proud, if people don't like the proud, then what is the answer? Can everybody say it with me? One word, the answer is humility. There you go. Good job. Bye, see ya. I'm just kidding. We've already talked about this. Just be humble. Have humility. Those are impossible things to do. At very best, humility and being humble is the end of a result. So here's what I want to do today. I want to take us to our our main passage. It's where we started. Those four words, God opposes the proud. It's in the middle of a passage. And in that passage, it actually tells us what we can do to get to a place where God doesn't oppose us and people do like us. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, as we begin to read through this passage, watch out, because it's going to look like there are three behaviors Three ways to act, and if you just act right, then then you'll be okay. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, these are not ways to act. These are things that have to be right here. They have to get right here, because if they are here, then they will come out of your actions. They will come out of your words, but they've got to be here. They're not things that you can imitate. If you try to imitate, people will see right through you. So let's go back to this passage here. We're at 1 Peter 5, 5. It's where we began a few minutes ago in the middle of it. And it says, likewise, you who were younger... Be subject to the elders. Here's the first one. Someone else knows better than me. Someone else knows better than me. (laughs) After the second service, I had somebody come to me and go, point number one should say, someone else knows better than I. (laughs) Pretty sure they missed the whole point. (laughs) Thank you for telling me that you know best. Did you hear anything else I said today? Anyway, that's true. Just so you know, true story. It's great to have my job some days. (laughs) Someone else knows better than me. You see, what what he's saying in this passage right here is like, look, some of you are younger. You need someone who is older to speak into your life. You need someone who is helping you, who is answering questions, who is guiding you. But when we think we know best, we don't ask questions. If you know all the answers, you don't ask any questions, right? Or you, you see what I'm... Elders don't just have to be by age. Sometimes the younger and the older is not about actual age. It might be about wisdom. It might be about skill. It might be different reasons in our life that we think that, that someone is, is above us or below us or whatever the story is. But here's the answer. If you're always the smartest person in the room, you need to get into a different room. The truth is you're probably not the smartest person in the room. I mean, we've all got our moments where we should be. If you're the boss, you call the meeting, you should know what needs to happen, okay? I get it. I give you that one. But even in those situations, maybe someone on the team has the answer for what we need to change. And we don't need to always assume that we're the only ones. So I've got something, I've I've risked it twice so far today because it was not in my notes. I didn't get to run it by anybody. 
And uh, so I've I prayed about it this morning, whether or not I should say it, because I have the potential to offend like an entire age group of you here this morning. So if I do, my email is kent.fancher at <laughs> gracelife.church. Anyway, everybody in their 20s is known for knowing the best. I know best, you know. Every generation has gone through that decade of not wanting input from their elders or anyone else. And so, uh, unfortunately, there is one generation that you're, you're actually known for this. It's, it's your stereotype. And, and millennials, don't run out of the room as I talk to you for a minute. Because you get bashed all the time, don't you? If you're a millennial, you get beat up about everything. Everybody tells you everything. And and, well, the truth is, I, I don't want to beat you up. What I do want to point out is that you could follow your culture or you might need to make a Jesus choice here. So, so just listen. The stereotype for millennials is that you have looked at our generations and noticed we didn't really get it all right. And the truth is, you're right. But the wrong response to that was to say we don't need those generations. And the reason the stereotype exists is to say we will find our own way. We won't have those elders because those elders don't know what they're doing. And first, I would just offer to you, not everybody in the previous generation got everything wrong. God can speak through some of that. But second of all, we've got to all be in a place where we let someone else speak to us, wherever that is. And we can't keep leading ourselves. We've got to have someone who's been there, done that, who does speak to us. So I just want to encourage you in that, right? So, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you the context of what's going on. We started in verse 5. Verses 1 through 4, he has been talking to the elders. He's been talking to the leaders. He's been saying, look, if you're going to be a leader, take care of those who are younger. Would you... Love them, shepherd them, care for them. Don't abuse your power. Don't abuse your authority. And then, as we just read, he says, so those of you who are younger, follow those who are older. And then he comes right back to say, but all of you, the younger and the older, clothe yourselves with humility, which leads us to the second thing that's got to get into our heart. And that is, I expect. To learn from anyone in any situation people will know when you believe that and they'll know when you don't people know when you walk into a room thinking that you're the smartest one people know when you don't think they can help you it might be at a family reunion it might be at thanksgiving dinner or it might be at a boardroom meeting people know when you think you have all the answers and you know best if you were here last week, I told you why my face was all sunburned and red and blistered. It's because I'd been on a backpacking trip in Colorado and spent all day fishing by a lake, first time fishing in all my life, and, and caught seven fish, which I think is impressive for the first time I've ever fished. And uh, here, here's a the little thing about that is I, I was taught to fish uh, in this, this last week when I was on this trip by a friend of mine, Joe. And Joe's about 29 or 30, and Joe's a pastor of a church in Colorado. But Joe used to be in my youth group, meaning when I was the youth pastor, he was like 12 years old. He was just like one of the kids, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so he grows up and goes and starts a church in Colorado, and he learns all about Colorado stuff, like fishing and hunting and backpacking and all that cool stuff. And so 
he decided to teach me how to fish. So he started with, you know, put your finger here, hold this thing here, and like do that. And the first time, it's like, it didn't go anywhere. He's like, oh, you got to remember to let go with your finger when you do that. Oh, okay. And then the next time I let go too soon and I caught a bush. And then I did all that. I, it, but, but that's normal, just so you know. So I feel, good, feel okay about that. And then a little bit later, as I told you, I, I actually succeeded at catching fish. Threw it in. Caught one. Threw it back in. Caught another. Threw it back in. Caught another. And I threw it back in and I caught another. And at that point, Joe, who taught me how to hold on to the rod, comes over and says, hey, man, teach me what you're doing. That's somebody who expects to learn from anybody in any situation. That's a humble person. Somebody who says, a couple minutes ago, I taught you how to handle that rod and, and to not get stuck in a bush. I taught you how to tie the knot that goes on the lure. But right now, you're catching fish, so what can I learn from you? As we were on this trip, my phone didn't work out in the middle of nowhere but my notes feature still worked so what i was doing all during the trip is i was using my notes to write down things that i was learning from joe because he's like a backwoodsman kind of expert like he starts fires with a knife and a stick i mean he's just he's crazy weird so i'm, I'm making this list of all these things that i need to do on my next trip like bring sunscreen <laughs> and he said hey send me a, a copy of that list and i said why would i this is a list of me following you. He's like, yeah, but I might still learn from it. What a, what a heart. Somebody who is better than me at everything that we're talking about, but actually still believes that he could learn something from me. And the final one, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The third thing that's got to get into here that absolutely has, it, it's, you can't fake it. God knows better than me. God knows better than me. See, the truth is I, I grew up going to church, so I grew up going to Sunday school. And in my single digit years of life, like six, seven, eight, nine, you know, those, those years, I did what this said to the best that I knew what it said. Does that make sense? As best I knew what God wanted, I did it. And largely because I, maybe it's just my memory, but my memory of Sunday school was the, they only told us the Old Testament stories. Like all I remembered was, was there was a flood because people were bad. There was a guy who tried to hold up a cart. God struck him dead. There was a guy who told a lie to Peter. God struck him dead. And I'm just thinking, oh God, please let me live. I, I was just afraid. But you know, then you get a little older and you begin to connect the ideas of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And then you get into middle school, you know, and, and it's a little harder. You see, when I was in single digits, I knew thou shalt not lie, right? So I wouldn't. And if somebody asked me a question I couldn't lie about, I would just... <laughs> you always knew when I was lying when I was... But then you get older and you can't even keep a straight face. <laughs> so you have to lie because the, the lie's just too big. To, you're like, oh, yep, I did that. And then other things and other things and other things. And kind of get to a point where you start going, oops. <laughs> well, God, thank you for your grace. 
Oops, missed that one too. Well, at least I'm forgiven. And we begin to live our lives where it doesn't matter what God says, we know best. And we lose sight of the fact that if God has spoken, our decision should be made. See, if you want the best to be yet to come, we've got to believe someone else always knows better than me. We've got to believe that in any room, at any time, I can learn something from anyone. We've absolutely got to believe that, that God knows best. And when you start going through life, like, hey man, how you doing? Hey, teach me how to do that. Yes, God. Hey, you're awesome. Can you help me? God, whatever you want for me. That person, the best is yet to come. That it's when we think we can outdo every person around us and prove God that he's wrong, it's going to be pretty hard to get to the best. Because people don't like them and God opposes them. I've got a pastor in my life, mentor, a friend of mine, known for 25 plus years, and pastors a church of about 10,000, speaks on leadership all over the world, uh, travels all the time, teaching, writing books. And he's the number one voice in my life that I go to for how to do my job as, as well as just how to handle my own soul. And, and so I love watching in his setting at his church when all of the young 20-somethings want jobs. And they want the jobs that where they get to show how much they know and how good they are. And that they'll, they'll want to be the, the small groups director, the, the coordinator of this. And they want something that has a coordinator, a title, or a director title, or a pastor title, those kind of things. And they just want to show what they can do. <clears throat> and I watched this one young man who had just gotten out of college. And out of all the jobs that he could choose and that he tried to get, he only wanted one. And he got it. And it was to be the pastor's assistant. While everybody else is proving what they know, he said, let me just get your coffee. Let me just carry your briefcase. Because what he wanted to do was to take that opportunity, and he told me about this in the conversation I had with him as he had gotten older. And he said, I would, I would sit and listen as somebody would bring a problem to him. And I would think to myself what I would do or say. And then I would listen to him and find out if I was wrong. Notice he didn't say I would listen and find out if I thought he had a better answer. He automatically knew that someone knew better than him, and he let that elder speak into his life. Funny thing is his own analysis was I was wrong like 90% of the time. But he made coffee and carried a briefcase for enough years that he learned a thing or two. And at about 30 years old, he went to start a church. And when he went to start his own church, in the first year, he saw over 400 people give their lives to Jesus. And they're averaging about 750 people in attendance. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty incredible for a 30-year-old pastor just out of the gun. That's an amazing thing right there. You know why I tell you that story? Because that was the same Joe that was 12 years old in my youth group that taught me how to fish and turned right around to ask me what I was doing. Because that is somebody who even at a young age has figured out somebody knows better, he can learn from anybody, and God knows better than he does. And if we can get that into our lives, God will not oppose us, people will like us, and there's a really, really good path for the best 
to be yet to come. Can I pray for you guys this morning? God, we thank you that it was never your intent to oppose your children. God, we thank you that you designed us for great works. You put a calling in us. You put a purpose over our lives that it is your heart and your plan for us to live that, to to walk in that. So God, today we come before you to say we're sorry. I just want to encourage you guys to to say this with me, to own this prayer with me, not, not just to listen to it. God, we're sorry that we've set ourselves up to be someone who is best and knows best, that it would actually cause you to have to stand in our way until we change. God, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our brokenness that's caused us to need to prove ourselves. We don't need to prove anything. Our Father sits enthroned in heaven and created us for a great purpose. God, I pray right now that you'd bring healing to every one of us, that you would open our eyes to see when we walk into a room thinking that we are best and that we know best. And help us to help us to call it out. Help us to change. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you who have yet to make Jesus your king, to accept the free gift of eternal life. The truth is it could have been because of what we talked about today that you've watched what God did in your life or what he's done in the world and decided you knew better, that that wasn't the best answer and you've really not wanted to surrender to that. There could be many other reasons, but the simple truth is that God is a perfectly holy God and we are not. And that thing that separates us is called sin, and the only way sin can be dealt with is by death, either ours or Jesus's. And so at some point in history, every single one of us has to respond to the death of Jesus, which provided forgiveness for our sins, and the resurrection of Jesus, which gives us eternal life in heaven. If you've never done that, if you've never given your life to God, if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to help you do that right now, but I'm not going to call you out or ask you to come down front. Just right where you're seated, if you'd all join me and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom where the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.